In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. This is Live La Bella Vita with your host, Don Catherine. If you're looking to know all the latest beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. Do you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense? This is your show. It's Live La Bella Vita on Toginet with Dawn Catherine. If you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes from the vine to the bottle, if you love Italian food and want to learn Nana's recipes, you enjoy travel and want to know the best luxury destinations and resorts, love spending time with La Familia, does your business or passion allow you to live La Bella Vita? Let's find out. All that and a little more with an Italian flair. This is Live La Bella Vita on Toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Don Catherine. Benvenuto. Welcome to the La Bella Vita show. I'm Don Catherine, your host. On tonight's show, we are going to get our wine on. K.J. Howe is a wine connoisseur and expert, and he's going to tell us all about the winemaking process and everything from the vine to the bottle, so get ready for that. Okay, so every week, you know, I give you my Incantato, which has me absolutely spellbound. This week, I just have an icon this week. I have no fashion, just an icon, and that would be Mr. George Clooney. Why? Because... Mr. George Clooney just broke up with his girlfriend, Elizabetta. So George is now single. He's my icon of the week. And you just get better as time goes on. And you're George Clooney, for God's sakes. So I love you and call me. Um, so, Agora, uh, the beauty pick of my week. It is the Vanity Pillow by Plum Design. The pillow will help prevent sleep wrinkles on the chest, cheeks, forehead, allows your night cream to penetrate better, prevents breakouts, helps compress sinuses, and so much more. So if you want to find out about this great vanity pillow by Plum Design, go to www.plumdesignnyc.com. Or you can just go to our show page after the show, and I'll have the information up there for you. So I always do a wine pick, but actually I'm going to have our wine expert, Mr. K.J. Howe, give us the wine pick when he gets on with us. So uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce Mr. K.J. Howe to the show, so please welcome him. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing terrific. It's 108 degrees here in Las Vegas, and I bet it's a little bit cooler where you are. Uh, not so much. Actually, it was like 98 degrees today here in like 106 heat index, so I'm kind of right with you. <laughs> oh, you sure are. Of course, I have a heck of a lot of less humidity than you do. I think we're only about 8% humidity here. Yeah, well, we're like 99, so <laughs> it's very humid. <laughs> Take so, hours a day there. Yeah. So can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Well, uh, I've been in Las Vegas since uh, 1970, and I came here uh, after, Las, after uh, spending uh, 
uh, quite a bit of time in the military. I did, I just got out of Vietnam, and I came to Las Vegas to uh, play some golf and figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And once I got here uh, and looked around, and if you can understand how this town was in 1970, uh, it's nowhere near what it was what it is today. And I, but I looked around and said, this is one dynamic place that I think I'm just going to move here. And not knowing anybody in town, I just did just that. I came here and I worked for Louis Prima, the great entertainer who, who was once married to uh, and I had a big uh, TV show through the 50s uh, uh, before color television. And you don't remember that, Don, I know, before color television. And anyway, I came and... Uh, uh, I worked for him for 90 days. That was my uh, gig, as it were. I uh, filled in for somebody who was in his staff. And during that time, I had written some resumes and sent off to different organizations in town. And one happened to be the Dell Webb organization, who had the, the uh, Sahara Hotel, the Thunderbird Hotel, the Mint Hotel, the Sahara Tahoe, and a number of other non-gaming casino properties throughout the country. And... They uh, they hired me uh, mainly because of my racing background, which I uh, uh, got into when I lived in Europe. And so they had just started a race called the Mint 400, and I was on the staff. And after a year, I took over as race director and did that for about uh, 18 to 20 years and uh, evolved to uh, an advertising agency after that and then into the golf business and then the, uh, later back into the hotel business, then into the restaurant business here in Las Vegas. Uh, I was the general manager of the uh, Port Tack, one of the great watering holes here in Las Vegas. And then in recent years, I uh, I decided I really wanted to get in the wine-making business as I, as I was a consumer most of my life and had visited most of the vineyards of any uh, consequence uh, throughout Europe and the United States. Uh, well, I shouldn't say all the United States, but especially in Napa and Sonoma. And I went to... Uh, assist the operation of great great expectations here in nearby Henderson, which is a southwest quadrant of uh, Las Vegas. And uh, we are a single client winery, whereby we make wine one barrel at a time for whatever recipe the client determines they want to make. And we uh, teach them the process. They actually make the wine under our tutelage. And it's a lot of fun, and this is our, our sixth harvest, uh, which starts in October. We just finished bottling, and uh, after we finished the bottling uh, last week, uh, last 10 days, we spent in the Napa area and Sassoon and uh, in, the, in, uh, in the environs there in Amadora Valley, which is the Bar- Barbera Fest. Then we picked up some new equipment and get some other equipment repaired, and now we're just getting ready to get... Uh, going for the uh, fall harvest and getting our marketing done. We did uh, 200 barrels of wine. Now, you have to understand each barrel of wine is 50, uh, the barrels that we use are 53 gallons. And that gives you about 240 bottles or 20 cases of wine that you made that you take home and you age and you give it to your friends when it's time to drink. And a lot of people don't wait for the right time for the wine to drink. They start drinking it right away, which is fine. It's their wine. But we try to, to try to convince them to hold it on until around Christmas time. Uh, if they bottle in June, they need a little time in the bottle for the 
to get the age on it and to, to uh, settle down from its bottle shot. Anyway, it's a, it's a fun process, and uh, we're in an expanding mode at the moment, whereby we've outgrown our facility and we're now looking for a bigger facility so that we can handle maybe 400 barrels of wine. But it's one of the great things and fun things that I've done in my life. <laughs> I'm sure it is. It's great. Now, can anybody, like if someone's going on vacation out to Vegas, can they come and visit the facility if they wanted to? Oh, certainly. They can visit the facility. That's not a problem. Yeah. We, uh, if they're going to make wine, it requires them to be here for the crushing, the stemming, and, and then again for the bottling. But, you know, if they just wanted to come out a couple times a year and then go home, they come out in October and come back again in June and take their wine home. You know, a lot of people do that. They fly in a couple times a year during the process. But, but yeah, we, uh, we loved having uh, visitors and because we don't have things going on year-round. Obviously, a lot of the times, the uh, most of the time, the, the wine's in the barrel aging, but we're always five minutes away. So all they have to do is give us a call, and we'll we'll meet them at the winery. And if they tell us that they heard about us through you, Don, I tell you what, we'll give them a VIP tour. Ah, uh, that would be great. I'm sure that my listeners would absolutely love that. And I'm sure that anybody who goes to Vegas, that would be a really fun something different to do. And any time you get to go back to Vegas is it's a good excuse. So go back to Vegas, yeah, play some slots. And absolutely. It's a great excuse to go. <laughs> absolutely. So I know that you know just about everything there is to know about the winemaking process. And really tonight I want to be able to tell my listeners all about what takes the wine from the vine to the bottle. So can you tell us the step-by-step process? Just give us the rundown, and then we'll kind of dig deeper into what the actual processes are. Sure. Well, you know, there are the major steps are the, uh, you know, after the wine is one the good thing is that we, we don't have to worry about the agriculture. That's a whole other area. The, the, the people who are the vintners, not, not the vintners, but the vintage uh, the vineyard growers, they have a tough job in that they're at the mercy of, uh, and of luck and of, uh, all other things that have to do with agriculture. We are fortunate enough that we have, our, our wine growers, uh, handpick the grapes and they get to us in pristine condition. Uh, they're picked on Monday and they arrive. other people who make wine they have to uh they, they have to kind of make what they have picked and that's it but we have uh, access to the best grapes throughout the napa and uh Amadora and the uh, Sassuan region so we get great grapes so that's number one uh the other things that have to do with the winemaking process of course are the crushing and the stemming whereby you take the uh you take the grapes and you pour them into a machine that separates the stems from the uh, skins and the pips and the and the juice they all go into a fermentation tank and the stems come out the other side of this machine and we always say that we have some little people inside the machine doing all the work but it's actually pretty much automated. Uh, from that from that point it goes into the, the, the fermentation tank now we have to add the yeast and some add some accelerant and some things to get the fermentation process started so that the yeast can attack the sugar in the grapes to produce alcohol. 
like carbon dioxide. And that's, that process takes about a week for that, uh, at least seven days, seven, eight, nine days. And during that time, the grapes will, uh, because of the carbon dioxide, the grape skins are now forced to the surface, and you must develop the color uh, of the of the juice by plunging that those grapes back down into the juice, and you have to do that four or five times a day. We call that the plunging process for that whole week or eight or nine days. Otherwise, you'll develop no color, and because all juice from all grapes are clear, and it gets its color by in contact with the skin. Okay, well, we're going to come back in a couple of minutes. We'll see you on the other side. Bésame, bésame mucho. You know, he just might. This is Live La Bella Vita. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on Toginet.com. Bésame, bésame mucho. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Hello everybody, this is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to Neil Innes of the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix, with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. Thence, I had great desire to see Italy, and came to Venice, and from thence to Florence, where I played before the Duke, and got great favors. If it's good enough for Sting, it's good enough for us. This is Live La Bella Vita on Toginet. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. It's Live La Bella Vita. All with an Italian flair. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. It's Live La Bella Vita. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. Okay, we are back and we have special guest, THC Howe. And before we went to break, we were talking about the process that it takes to make wine. So, can you get back to what we were talking about and go through the process with us? Sure. I, I think when we uh, before the break, I think we were talking about the fact that all juice from all grapes are clear, and in order for red wine to develop uh, its color, the juice and the skins must be in contact all the time. And because the process uh, involves the yeast attacking the sugar uh, in the grapes, 
that'll produce alcohol, which is nice, and also carbon dioxide, which forces the grapes to the surface. And if it's at the surface, then it won't develop the color. So we have what we call the plunging process, and that's four or five times a day. Uh, the staff members will uh, plunge the grapes back down into the juice, and the the uh, the, the clients, uh, they'll come over, and they'll do it a couple times a day, and, and we do that for a whole week. Now, the one thing about this is you can't plunge too often, but you can plunge too vigorously. Uh, if, if you plunge too vigorously, you force the pits uh, out of the uh, – uh, out of the skins, and you will uh, mash them, causing more tannin. So you have to make love to the wine. You have to be gentle with it, but you still have to uh, use a little force to get the uh, get the juices flowing through the grapes. And but we do that for a week, and uh, then after that, now we have to get the wine uh, out of the fermentation tank and into the uh, barrel. We use American oak barrel, and we use them for six years, five or six years. They're lightly toasted. And uh, if we used uh, French oak, they would be uh, have less of an impact on the, on the flavor of the, of the wine. So for our purposes, we use uh, American oak, which most people do anyway. Most uh, winemakers make, uh, use a combination of both French and American, but we exclusively use American oak. Anyway... We do that by uh, a week after you've done the crushing and the stemming. We're going to get that wine into the barrel, and you actually take the wine out of the fermentation tank, and we take a pump, and we pump it through a filtering system into the barrel. And now what we are left with is this big, big, big cake of grapes. Now, there's a lot of juice left in those grapes. So we transfer those grapes into a, an old-fashioned grape press. It's hydraulic, and you actually uh, plunge it up and down and get that, get that uh, press plunging the rest of the juice out of those grapes and, again, through a filtering uh, a mechanism and into the barrel. And there will always be a little bit of the wine left over. It will be too much for the barrel. So we put that into a stainless container and later to be uh, placed into a... Uh, an oak cask, and we use that for top-off wine to be used during the racking process four, five, or six months uh, hence. But that takes us through, like, the first week of the process. And we put the appropriate bung in the bunghole, and that is a uh, wine-making term. Other industries, however, have usurped that nomenclature. But the bung goes into the bunghole, and those are wine-making terms, and we have a lot of fun with that. In, uh, in and around the yeah. winery, explaining the process. <laughs> All right. And so does then, anybody? And I'm sorry. Does anybody stomp the grapes at all? Like, is this, is that just like something that they do, like over in Italy, just for fun? They have the little festival of the stomping of the grapes. Do you guys ever do that at your facility? They, they, we have done it here, but we don't like to do it because you, you, you've got to keep everything very, very sanitary, and. You know, from time to time, someone will take their infant child and put their foot into the grapes just to give it a little, give it a little uh, color, as it were. But uh, right. we, we don't encourage it. We know it has happened, but when we're not looking. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, we, it, it's against the health department regulations, so we don't allow that. Uh, they, okay. However, parts of Italy and Portugal and Spain, they still uh, have festivals where they stop the grapes. 
Right. But it's only for local consumption, I assure you. Uh, I'm sure that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. So then what yeah, happens wonderful. after that process? Well, now, now it's, in the, it's in the barrel. So uh, we, we put the barrels on their racks, and uh, I've given you a one week of the process, so now you have to understand if there's 200 barrels that are being uh, prepared, Obviously, they can't all be prepared at the same time. So you have a combination within the winery of fermentation tanks and and barrels starting to accumulate, and that's the fun. Some people will be just starting the process, while other people will be finishing the first phase of the process of getting the wine in the barrel. Well, they all once the wine is in the barrel, it's going to stay there from October until late January, early February whereby we start the racking process, which is simply taking the wine out of the barrel, putting it in stainless, cleaning the barrel out of all its sediment, because obviously red wine is going to produce a lot of sediment. When you, when you uh, take out the sediment, now you have, a, you have a space, that oulage, as it's called, or the French call it oulage, uh, between the bung and the uh, top of the liquid in the barrel, so we have to take that top off wine I alluded to previously, and that has been aged along with the rest of the wines, and we top off the wine to bring it right up to the bung, so that there's no uh, there's no oolage uh, separation whatsoever, and that that keeps the oxygen from uh, from uh, uh, penetrating the the barrel and spoiling the wine. A little bit of the oxygen is a good thing. That which goes through the grain in the barrel, that is fine. That's one of the miracles of uh, oak and wine in the winemaking process. But if you leave that bung out of the hole, uh, the oxygen is going to get in there and spoil the wine. So uh, anyway, that's, that's the process. And once we know that the, the uh, wine has settled down, we put a permanent bung in, one that does not have a hole in the top, uh, a little hole in the top of the bung that is put in there first so that it's still going to produce carbon dioxide and you don't want it to blow the bung out of the bung hole. Anyway, when we get the permanent bung in there, then it stays there until the bottling process, which for us takes place in June, and everybody comes back and they uh, they bottle their wine. We have all the accoutrements, all the, the bottles, all the corks, all the uh, capsules, and you actually... You actually do the whole production, and we use a gravity method here whereby we take the wine and we put it in stainless. We put the stainless on a perch. We attach uh, plumbing to it, and the hoses come down into a bottling mechanism, and then you actually put the bottles on the, on the probes from the bottling mechanism with a reservoir that contains all the wine, and you, uh, you take it off the uh, – it automatically stops at the proper – Location so that you have the, uh, the proper amount in there, although sometimes it will spill over, but that's always fun. Everybody gets a little bit of wine on them, and that's part of it. Uh, so then they take it from that station to the, to the corking station, whereby another person will cork it. Then we take it to the capsuling station where they put the capsule on it, and it's uh, heat-sealed. And then it goes to their labeling station. And the people they, that are making the wine, they design their own label. And they are very, very clever indeed in what they call their wine and what they name their wines are very, very clever. 
And the American Wine Society now takes two bottles of every one of every barrel, and they we have a contest. And in August, this year will be August 20th at the Orleans Hotel. Will be the American Wine Society will judge the wines in eight or nine different categories to give out the gold, silver, and bronze awards. And in a party that we call the Bacchus Party, complete with Bacchus and his on his throne and other. Uh, fun and frolicking items that we put together for the party. And they give away the awards, and we have wine trading going on between the people who have made wine. They thought they were allowed to bring their wine and trade with other other winemakers. And last year we had over 600 people at the party, and believe me, it's a, it's a, it's a fun and frolic. And, and uh, it's, it's the denouement of the whole process, you know, that starts in late September, early October, and ends for... For us in uh, in August when they when they've had their wine and they start trading it now of course a lot of people will have already consumed some of their wine because they can't wait but we try to convince them to let it sit in the bottle for you know till at least around Christmas time before they really start imbibing a commercial operation generally it would be a year in the barrel uh, six months to a year in the barrel and a year in the bottle and then they'd release uh, a reserve wine of course would be maybe two years in the barrel, maybe two years in the bottle, and then they'd release. But we're not making that kind of wine. We're making wine that's meant to be consumed relatively young within 18 months. And the good thing about it is people are taking our advice and they're starting to let them lie for that six or seven months before they start drinking it. And they they just rave about their wine when they have the patience to do so. <laughs> Anyway, that's kind of a process in a, in a nutshell. We do get in a little more in depth, obviously, about the chemistry and and about this, the myths of wine. And we try to keep the snobbishness out, however, when we're teaching, because we want people to learn something. And it's amazing the number of sommeliers who come at all the great restaurants here in Las Vegas. There's lots of very knowledgeable people about serving wine and about tasting wine. Very few have ever made wine. And... Every single one of them have come in and said, you know, we learned something and we're so happy that we went through the program. So another point about that is the Cordon Bleu School here in Las Vegas, they make a white and a red every year. And that, that says something about, about our process and about how much they appreciate what we are trying to do uh, in teaching the, uh, the whole, overall wine, uh, um, the mechanism of making wine. Well, we're going to be going to break in a couple of minutes. And when we come back, I really would like to ask you some questions that I think that some of my listeners would appreciate because I know that a lot of people want to know a little bit about how the wine takes on its flavor, things like that. I know that's a little bit more about the chemistry and things like that, but I think that some people would appreciate hearing a little bit about that. And um, when we come back, we're going to go over that. And then if there's anybody who has any questions, you can um, give us a call. Our number is one 864 4869 And we'll be back. See you on the other side. Is Live La Bella Vita. 
Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on Toginet.com. In the healthcare industry today, most of us are left in the dark when our doctors talk to us about our health and wellness. It seems that they don't have enough time to be informative and give us the options we deserve. Are you frustrated with today's medical advice as I am? Join the Medical Insider with Danny Walker and Dr. Richard Powell as they discuss the insider look at various therapies, medications, supplements, and much, much more. We will bring you the cutting-edge information regarding your health care and how you can take control of your health care decisions by not being fooled but being informed. Danny Walker and Dr. Richard Powell will be joined by experts in various fields throughout the healthcare industry, and they'll uncover the information that you should know about when it comes time to making those crucial decisions. Don't be fooled. Be informed with the Medical Insider every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 Central. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. All with an Italian flair. It's Live La Bella Vita. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. Welcome back. We are with our special guest, KJ Howe, who is a very knowledgeable wine connoisseur and winemaker. And before we went to break, we were talking about all the different processes on how to make wine. And I had a question for you, um, KJ. I wanted to know, how do does the winemaker get the different flavors in the wine? Well, there's, there's many ways. Number one, uh, I, I think the most important thing to remember is that most wines, especially reds, are not one varietal. They are blend. And each, uh, you know, every country has its rules. In California, 75% of the wine must be of a, uh, a certain varietal to be called uh, a certain, to be called that, but it can also have up to the other 25% of other wine, other varietals involved. But each varietal and each blend, for example, if you're, if you're talking about a Bordeaux, Wine and the Bordeaux is Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, uh, Petit Verdot, and a little Malbec. Well, each one of those uh, has a different characteristic. Each one of those uh, bloom differently and come to fruition differently. 
And if you blend them, they're also going to have add nuance to the blend, and they're going to add nuance at different times. And the aging process, and, the, and it's a melding process, kind of like spaghetti sauce is better the second and third and fourth day. Well, the same, it, it's constantly changing, and, and the, the acidity goes away, and the, the rough edges become smoother. And that's a result of, in the case of a Bordeaux wine, generally, the addition of Merlot, which has been used as a blending grape for years and years and years uh, because it smooths out the harshness of Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc, which take a little longer to mellow out. But when you add them together, it adds nuance and characteristics uh, to the overall blend that make it very, very palatable. In California, however, we find that Merlot can stand on its own. And, and so can Cabernet without uh, the blending of, of, of uh, a Merlot or a Cab Franc. Uh, the thing is, it depends on where the wine is grown. California has different terroir than France, and I'm, I'm a great believer in the terroir, which lends the characteristics to the grape, and it comes from the earth, and it comes from the side of the hill, and it comes from the amount of sunshine and how much fog and the overall temperature all these things influence the, the nuance of the grape. It also, uh, also influences how the grape is going to age. And once you have a, a blend, uh, and depending upon the blend, that will determine, once you determine that you have a, a blend that's generally going to work together, uh, you'll know that the Cabernet is going to taste, if you're doing a Bordeaux blend, it's going to taste a little bit harsh when you first bottle it. But after five or six or seven months in the bottle, it's going to be like that spaghetti sauce after a couple, three days. And all the characteristics and nuances of each of the grapes are going to come together. And uh, that plus the influence of the oak is going to uh, give the tasting notes that the winemaker has determined he wants to put off to the, put out to the public. The other thing is, unlike us, we, we are making one barrel at a time. Of, of a winemaker in a commercial operation can take the wines from the different barrels and blend them to get the characteristic that he wants to put out for his 2,000 cases. They all should have the same overall taste. And so the blending in the winery is, a, is another uh, a factor that involves, the, that it takes part. It, it influences the aging process because uh, uh, if he blends it right in the in the winery, then it'll help its help in the bottle. And again, it's like the spaghetti sauce; it's it's uh, it just always tastes better a little bit when everything gets to meld together. Now, some uh, blends just don't work, uh, or so it has been told by the experts. However, if you take a, a winemaker like Warren Swift, who did the Prisoner blend, which is uh, about uh, six or seven different varietals, he mixes Zinfandel with Cabernet, and all the experts told him that that is not going to work, yet he was the wine of the year uh, two years ago, three years ago, and his his uh, his price went from uh, uh, $14 or $15 a bottle to, to about $50 a bottle right away because wow. he figured out how to do it and go against the grain. Paul Hobbs does another thing, another California winemaker, goes against the grain. And Tenorio over in Italy, yeah, they're not afraid to experiment with 
mixing mixing uh, uh, wines from certain areas and planting grapes in places where it was strictly Sangiovese based. They're now planting Chardonnay, or excuse me, uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot and and uh, and uh, Petit Verdot and Cab Franc and and Syrah, and they're making some great blends in the Tuscany region, and they call those super Tuscanies, when that was usually strictly Sangiovese and maybe a little Merlot and a couple other wines that were grapes that were only characteristic or uh, uh, indigenous of the Italian area. They they weren't growing the French grapes there. But all of those things come into the they influence how the wine is going to age in the barrel and in the bottle. Now, we're, we're doing it very, very quickly, uh, a winemaker in the uh, commercial application, when he's making a reserve wine, he is constantly tasting uh, from barrel to barrel and from uh, uh, before he even blends it. He's tasting to get, make sure the nuances that he desires is proper and that the influence of the American oak for some of the grapes, such as Cabernet Sauvignon, and maybe he'll have some Merlot aging in French oak, and then he's going to blend that later. Uh, that's an aging process, and it's his characteristic that he's trying to put forth to the public that hopefully you'll enjoy when you open that bottle. Uh, we don't have that luxury the way we do it, but I'm just trying to give you the – there's so many different ways to influence the aging of the wine. Some wines get a lot of tannins are meant to lie down for a long period of time so that they'll mellow out, and, and if they happen to be a particular year – uh, that's going to require a little more Merlot or a little more uh, Cabernet Franc or a, a little whatever. Uh, it's going to the uh, the aging process is going to uh, influence uh, how long how long it's in the barrel is going to influence how the winemaker or when the winemaker wants to release that wine. If it's still too harsh, you may keep it in the barrel a little longer. It's it's kind of like when do you pick the grapes? You pick the grapes when it's right when the winemaker thinks it's right, when the bricks is at the proper sugar level. It's the same with the aging, uh, and it's constant. We don't have that luxury the way we make it, but when you, when you go to a, a top winery, they're constantly monitoring the acidity and the alkalinity of the batch and uh, and adjusting uh, uh, within the winery. So uh, what, you, what you think about... Uh, uh, happening with one barrel of wine does not necessarily happen in a in a commercial operation. But I kind of rambled there. But uh, it, believe me, it's the it's the combination of the wines and it's the influence of the barrel and the type of barrel, American oak or or French oak uh, or or Hungarian oak or whatever other oak they're using uh, that that's going to uh, it's going to influence the wine when it's in the cask and then later also in the bottle because it's going to continue to develop in the bottle. Anyway, that's kind of a long, round way about saying it. No, no, no. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you, this is kind of a random question, but this has been a, kind of a big debate lately, and so I just kind of want to know where your thoughts are on this. There's a, a debate about corks, about using real cork as opposed to the plastic cork that is out there. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about right, cork? Well, here's the deal. I, I, I'm a... I'm a I'm a purist. I like cork. All right, number one. Having said that, and having been a restaurateur, I also know that when uh, one out of every 12 bottles in a case is probably going to be off, I know that the cork industry had a problem. 
they have since cleaned up their act because uh, the too much wine was being sent back and too many people were upset. Having said that, uh, I I know that uh, I know that the screw tops are all over Europe. I've traveled to Europe just like you do a lot, and a wine that's not uh, meant to lie down for a long period of time, three or four years, uh, screw cap is going to be the best seal. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the uh, artificial corks, but that's just me. They're tough to get back in the bottle, and uh, I believe in opening the opening the wine, letting it set, letting it get uh, settled, pouring the wine, and then putting the cork back in. I don't want it. I hate to see a, a, a bottle open with no cork in it. Putting it it's back in with a uh, with a artificial or synthetic uh, cork is a little difficult sometimes. And uh, but screw caps work, and uh, you see Australia and New Zealand are doing it. South Africa is doing it. All over Italy they're doing it. A wine that's meant to lie down for an age in a reserve wine, uh, they're doing it with cork. Uh, and I, I, I think they're doing it right. And I think the cork industry has learned a big lesson. And they're having a better, a little better quality control, uh, monitoring the moisture content of the cork and, and other things that enter into the cork making process, which in and of itself is a whole other study, as is cooperage or the making of the barrel. Uh, you know, those things, all those things influence the taste of wine ultimately. And, uh, but again, if, uh, to, to reiterate, if it's a, a wine meant to be, uh, lied down or reserved, uh, I want, I want cork. Uh, otherwise, I'm very, very satisfied with unscrewing the little top and drinking something young. No, no problem. I gotcha. Well, we're going to be coming up on a break, and we'll be coming back in a couple of minutes. But uh, I just wanted to ask you one real quick question. If you could tell me real quickly, what was the favorite bo- your favorite bottle of wine that you've ever had, ever? Oh, 1961 Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. Uh, without a doubt, uh, and it was a very, very special occasion, and I, I had it in about 1975, and it was absolutely perfectly uh, uh, stored. It was perfectly poured, and I had it in Europe, and uh, it was just a wonderful occasion, and one I'll never forget, and I still have the cork somewhere lying around, <laughs> but, uh, and I... And I and I have a couple of uh, bottles of 61 and 62 Chateau Lafitte. However, I don't think that uh, they have been stored perfectly, and they're all a little bit off. But they're good to have in your collection, you know, just to show off, as I like to say, just showing off. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to come back and talk to you when we get to the other side. We're going to go to break now. Bésame. You know, he just might. This is Live La Bella Vita. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on toginet.com. Besame, besame mucho challenged in a powerful way to leap beyond what you think is possible then join us mondays for the leah jensen show every monday at 10 a.m 9 a.m central on toginet.com with leah jensen listen live as life coach leah uses her coaching skills to give you the tools you need to take action and create momentum 
you are encouraged to call in and share your greatest fears, challenges, and obstacles. And then listen as Leah obliterates those barriers to success. For more on Leah and the show, check out her website, leahjansen.com. That's Leah, L-E-A-H, J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. Spend one hour with Leah, and you'll be captivated by her energy, enthusiasm, and magnetism. You'll quickly become addicted to her positive attitude and make-it-happen mentality. Ready for a life-changing, mood-altering show? Then get ready for Leah Jansen. And listen live to The Leah Jansen Show every Monday morning at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Hello, everybody. This is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to Neil Innes of the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix, with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show, all with an Italian flair. It's Live La Bella Vita. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. Okay, and we are back with our special guest, KJ Howe. And as you know, every week I have giving you my wine pick of the week, but this week, since we have the wine expert on, I am going to go ahead and let him tell you what his wine pick of the week is. Well, Don, I'll tell you what. I, I have become a fan of Insoglio, uh, which is a pretty much a super Tuscany. Uh, Insoglio uh, 2006, which uh, is uh, 35% uh, Syrah, 30% Cabernet Franc, 30% Merlot, and about 5% Petit Verdot in the end to give it a little body and another, another little uh, uh, nuance that you don't normally find. Petit Verdot, I think, really adds to any wine, especially on the palate, uh, and, and helps the finish and helps the body of the wine. Uh, and it sells for, oh, anywhere from $29 to $35, but it's just a great wine that you could quaff or It'll stand up to a uh, a great uh, 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 pasta with red uh, marinara sauce, or it'll stand up to a prime rib. And I've had them with all three, and I quaff it very regularly. Uh, and it's become one of my uh, go-to wines, and it, it, it's never failed me when I've uh, when I've poured it at home or when I've ordered it at a restaurant. That's great, and you know that Super Tuscans are actually like my favorite. I haven't met a super Tuscan that I haven't liked. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with I, you. I'm with you. And that's because they have so much latitude now mm-hmm. in Tuscany to do lots of things that otherwise were frowned upon. Right. I, I, the, I tell you, the more that they blend, the more that I actually enjoy the wine. You know, it just, to me, it's Absolutely. Just, it's, it's great. So, and, it's, and they're we, meant to be consumed young, too. You don't have to lie them down for five years to go join them, you know? That's the right. whole thing. That's always good. We like to drink as quickly as possible. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You're right. So let me ask you this. I know that a lot of people talk about, 
you know, ir- irrigating the wine and decanting the wine. What are your thoughts on on all of that? Uh, well, number one, uh, especially with reds, uh, aeration cannot hurt. And there are, there, are, there are little gadgets out in the market, little aerators, venturis, and all kinds of good, and, and they work. They, they find, I, I've done it in the house. I've put them side by side. And it's a, when you, when you can swirl the wine in a glass and you can get some of the oxygen flowing through there to help develop the, help the, the, the bloom to develop, uh, it, it just helps it, no doubt. I oftentimes just take two glasses and pour it from one glass to the other. That gives us enough aeration to help the bloom, the bloom process start. Now, for a wine that's old and has a lot of sediment in the bottle, you must decap. I mean, I, I, you don't have to do anything, but I recommend you decap. I recommend that you let it set upright for maybe, oh, even a day or two prior to the dinner. That does not mean open it. It just means set it upright. And then, then open the wine, uh, take the cork out, and then slowly pour it into a decanter and put a light of some type, either a candle or a little small flashlight, under the neck of the bottle so you can see when the sediment starts to get to the neck, and then you know that you don't want that to go into the decanter. And that, that, all that does is help. Uh, there's a lot to be said for swirling the wine and all that, but when somebody tells you that, oh, look at the legs, the legs are wonderful, that's going to mean this is going to be a great wine. All the legs prove is that the wine has alcohol because right. if the alcohol evaporates before the water in the, in the, in the, before the liquid does. And so there are a lot of myths about that, but the actual the swirling of the wine does help the wine to bloom, especially if it's just out of the bottle and hasn't had a chance to to, uh, to sit out in a decanter for a while, you know, which is often the case when you're in a restaurant. They just pour it out of the bottle, and there you go. Uh, you have to kind of take things into your own hands, and especially with young wine. But uh, I would, uh, you know, uh, I'd have your listeners just try that sometime. To drink a little out of a glass of something you just opened without uh, without aerating it, and then pour it back and forth from one glass to the other, and then taste it, and I guarantee it'll be different, just as it will 15 minutes from now, and just as it will an hour from now. It'll change. Right. It does. It takes on. It it definitely changes, and it, I think it envelops. It just gets better as it is exposed to the air and the elements and. Right, up to a point, then it falls off, and then it starts, right. uh, you know, it starts getting rusty, as I call it. Too much yeah. oxygen <laughs> on a steel makes it rusty. <laughs> right. There's that fine line. <laughs> fine line between between full maturity and over the hill. That's it. Absolutely, I'm exactly. getting there because I actually have a, I have a birthday coming up in two weeks, so I'm, I'm oh, getting to that over the hill. <laughs> what are you, 24 now? Oh, please, you know better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish I was. I was 24 uh, about 20-something years ago. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't remember when I was 24, Uh, actually. Uh, (laughs) I I don't think I was allowed to be 24. I was such an honorary because I went from 23 to 25. wasn't allowed to be 24. You wasn't allowed to, you know, not at all? Uh, They weren't allowed to be 24. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So when you moved to Vegas, you said you moved to Vegas in 1970, right? Right. So you you have seen everything change. I mean, it's been amazing. 
the changes in Vegas. I mean, I mean, you talked about uh, working for Del Webb, and you know, Sahara was part of that, and you know, Sahara was one of the last of the the old time casinos, and it just actually closed about a month or so ago. It's kind of sad to see it close, but it has sure, dude, definitely. I was there closing night. I was there with a. Uh... One of our uh, uh, our uh, entertainment columnists named Norm Clark, who's pretty well known throughout the country, and uh, he and I went and uh, I knew a lot of the people that were had worked there since the '70s, and they all were there. And so I, I they would say hello to me, and I brought them over to Norm, and Norm interviewed them, and some of them were there from the day the Sahara opened, and they wow. have wonderful stories to tell. But the whole town has changed. Uh, when I first came, it was uh, much more—it uh, was much more comfortable in the hotels. Now they're all big. It was much more boutique-style hotels, where the customer could get a lot of attention and people dressed to the nines when they went to see Sinatra, and uh, everybody was just—it was just classier. This is not to say it's not classy today because we have some of the best restaurants in the world in Las Vegas now, but it's just such a grander scale than it was then. And you can literally get lost. I mean, I used to know most everybody that worked in the hotels and the front end side, and now, heck, I I don't know anybody anymore. You know, it's crazy. Of course, I'm older now, too, but uh, there's a lot more to do, and there's a lot uh, lot of activity, a lot more people, a lot more traffic. but, uh, you know, do I, do I prefer the old days? Uh, yes. But do I, I definitely uh, have to accept what's going on now because it's still a great destination. And 35 or 40 million people are still going to come here this year, the economy notwithstanding. Uh, you know, they still come to Vegas. And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, – we reinvent ourselves every, you know, eight or nine years. And a lot of that has to do with – the vision of people like Steve Wynn and Kirk Kerkorian who built great, great, great properties. And, I, uh, and if they weren't any good, they wouldn't be replicated in Macau and in Singapore and in New Jersey and in uh, Louisiana and Mississippi. So if, we were, if, if, if the people who developed Las Vegas weren't doing something right, then uh, they wouldn't be replicated everywhere in the world. So it's still a great town, and we're, we're really the place to be. Uh, you know what? The old saying goes, whatever happens in Vegas uh, uh, stays in Vegas. Well, that's not true anymore. Whatever happened in Vegas never happened. It never, (laughs) ever happened. That's why the town is fun. And, uh, you know, we don't have the the Sinatras and the Dean Martins anymore and the Johnny Carsons. And uh, we miss those uh, stars that would stay for three weeks and a month. We don't have Elvis anymore. But we have Celine Dion. We have Cher. We have Cirque du Soleil. We have, you know, we we have a lot of the touring shows, and it's become a great concert town. Uh, and and some of the artists that you wouldn't think that appear in Vegas and make big big uh, moves here and stay here, like Copperfield and Lance Burton. I mean, they've been here for years, off and on, and uh, they they draw an audience, and they still they still do do great business. And I'm very happy that uh, Celine Dion just came back, and and mm-hmm. she's just a great great draw. People love her, and they can say what they want about uh, about uh, we've lost it all. We've got a little bit of everything now uh, with Absolutely. the Cirque du Soleil shows, the big spectaculars, and the stars. But the, the, the days of the of the stars and the big bands and the chorus lines pretty much gone. Yeah. 
it's kind of sad. I remember when I was a kid and I came out to Vegas and going to see those shows when I was a little kid and the showgirls and those beautiful costumes. It was like so amazing and so beautiful. And so much of that is gone and it's really, really sad that, you know, it's kind That's of... Sure. Uh, Casino du Paris and the Follies Brigere and the yes. uh, Hallelujah Hollywood. I think there's only one show, one left. And, uh, but uh, I, I at the MGM, I, still, I think they still have their show, but... Yeah, that's gone. The big and you know most of the most of the hotels don't have house bands anymore. You know, every hotel had a house band, and all the great jazz musicians from New York would come out to the West Coast on doing their gigs across country, and they all stop in Vegas to see their pals playing in the house bands up and down the Strip, and then they'd all go jam way early in the morning at the uh, little venues around town, and it was wonderful in the seventies and early eighties when I lived here. God, it was fantastic. And now we haven't seen a great jazz guy come through here. For, of course, a lot of the jazz guys are getting old, too, and it's been replaced by other musical uh, types and rap stars and what have you. But in the day of the big bands, we had all the great we had all the great jazz there, uh, men come through town, and it was a lot of fun, and a lot of them were here, stayed here uh, through the years. And anyway, it's, it's a different time, but you have to adjust with the you have to adjust with the times, just like winemaking had to adjust because people weren't going to stand for laying a bottle of wine down for five years before they drank it. So the winemaker had to make wines that were to be consumed fairly young, and the palates of people have been developed to, uh, to like those type of wines, which is why, as you just said, the blends are uh, of the Super Tuscanese, for example, are, are wonderful because you can drink them young, and they, they give you a lot of satisfaction. And it's the same with uh, Las Vegas. We're satisfying a bigger audience now, uh, 34 right. million people, as opposed to 6 or 7 million that used to come on up in the heyday. Thanks, John. It All was right. so much fun. Oh, thank you so much, KJ. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You were great. Thank you, and I hope to see you out here soon. And I may be back in New York here in August, so I'll stop in and say hello. Sounds good. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Ciao. 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 Thank you for being a part of Live.